Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. Rob is bringing the energy tonight. I was man. going oh, with a mellowed out. Yeah, I hear you. That's cool. Let me see if I can do mellow. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, tonight we are reviewing Normal by author Warren Ellis. Um, Warren is the award-winning writer of graphic novels like Trans Metropolitan, Fell, Ministry of Space, and Planetary, and the author of NYT best-selling Gun Machine, <laughs> being adapted for TV by Microsoft Xbox. Did you know that? I well, I read the yes, I did because okay, I read the bio. Because you did this, yeah, okay, okay. And the underground <laughs> classic novel Crooked Little Vein. We're going to come what back to up, that. Woo. The movie Red is based on his graphic novel of the same name. Its sequel having been released in summer 2013. His gravel books are in development for film at Legendary Pictures. Iron Man 3 is based on his Marvel Comics graphic novel, Iron Man Extremis. Is that right? Extremis? You were worried I wouldn't know how to say Reuters. Extremis? Um, yeah. Yes. All right. He's also written extensively for Vice, Wired UK, and Reuters on technological and cultural matters. Warren Ellis is apparently just very prolific. He is currently working on a nonfiction book about the future of the city for Farrar Guru Strauss. His newest publication is the digital short story single Dead Pig Collector from FSG Originals. His next book, his current book, will be, is, the novella Normal, also from FSG. A doc- <laughs> Hold on, I'm not done yet. A documentary about his work, Captured Ghosts, was released in 2012. Did I miss anything? Um, yeah, no, you're good. That's good. I'm going to explain to you what's important out of this author bio because it's going to probably come into play a little bit in our review, or at least my review. Warren Ellis is the author of Crooked Little Vein, which remains probably in my top 10, maybe 15 books of all time. Uh, yeah, it's really good. Um, you made me read that like a month before we started doing this podcast. I don't know if you know that. Uh, I, I'm aware that I made you read it. I was not sure on the timing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, re- very good book. Um, I, that movie Red, that was adapted from his whatever mm-hmm. graphic novel. Uh, that's that Bruce Willis movie, right? Where like it's a bunch of retired assassins that like for some reason have to go back in the game or whatever. This is uh, very likely. I had not seen this movie. But yeah. yes, it is. It is. Bruce Willis and Morgan Freeman, John Malkovich. It's like fucking like the Expendables for weirdo, like assassins. Like it, it honestly, it felt like all the people who were angry that they couldn't be in an action flick anymore because it's not the '80s when they were in action flicks. Like got together to make a movie. <laughs> um, can we talk about Hel- Helen Mirren for a second? The Dame Helen Mirren. Yeah, so what, what, what is her deal? Now, I, I am not saying that she is not an attractive woman. <laughs> but God damn it, you can't hear that name without them like talking about how hot she is. Like, it's always prefaced by hottie Helen Mirren. Okay. I'm a little bit. I mean, she's 71, and I mean, like, she's traditionally been just like, now, I, I, I mean, like, you, you can be timeless. <laughs> Okay, was she was she always referred to that way though when she wasn't seventy something, um, as being hot or like yeah. the title dame? Was she always introduced as like, you know, I, I just she was just on something like I, I just caught a like she was on a British talk show or something, and of course they had they 
were talking about their guests. And I don't remember what word they used to describe her, but whatever word it was, it fell in that uh, beautiful kind of thing. And, and, and every time I hear it, that's how she's introduced. Hmm. It's just weird. I don't know. Whatever. Well, I mean, the thing that always caught me up is like she got referred to as Dame Helen Mirren. And it took me a long time to realize that Dame is an actual title, like a British title. Yeah, it's like when you knight a woman, right? Yeah. Basically. Okay. It's a noble title, female equivalent of the honor of knighthood. So I was not aware of that. So it's the female equivalent of sir. And that was always throwing me off. I thought like, well, why are we just calling this one person a dame? Um, but that threw me off, but I didn't know. I mean, yes, like people do obsess about the fact that like she was apparently the sexiest woman for like 50 years or something like that. But, um, she's, she's looks like a 70, a woman in her seventies. If you ask me. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree with you on that. Well, I don't know. I've seen some, some pretty rough 70 year olds. I I don't know. (laughs) Let's not disparage specific 70 year olds. All I'm saying is that there are some 70-year-olds who, <laughs> who don't look good for even 70, like for yeah. their age. Like, it just doesn't. Like, they, they might look good for 90? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> All right, well. I was watching a thing. So there, <laughs> this Pearl Harbor thing, um, some benefit here in Illinois where they had honored um, two Pearl Harbor veterans. And, and, you know, these guys were, like, in their 90s. And the one guy was there, and I don't know if they had draped him with some type of decorative thing, but it looked like he was just wearing a, a blanket. And I thought, like, <laughs> yeah, 90, you, you, you're so fucking cold. You probably just need to wear a blanket all the time, even in public at, like, awards ceremonies and stuff. So, I don't know. <laughs> but it was, like, an honorary thing? I, I th- I'm, I'm, not, I'm not clear <laughs> on what the blanket was for, but he was definitely wearing a blanket. They're like, this man has pneumonia. All right. Yeah. Um, speaking of... Pearl Harbor isn't uh, not well. I'm not predicting that there's going to be another attack on Pearl Harbor in two days, but the Pearl Harbor Day is in two days. It is. It is from, from when we're recording. We're recording this. Yeah, um, which is another. It's special for another reason. Is it uh, as well? Yeah, it's the day that you were brought into this world. It is very true. Yes, 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 yes. I will be celebrating my 44th birthday. Um, Holy on, shit! Uh, on the seventh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna have a drink right I now too. I look good for seventy, right? You look great for seventy. <laughs> you really do. Fucking blanket, Dame Livius Nedden over here. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm, I'm having an irresistible Dame Livius Nedden who's wearing a blanket because <laughs> at this age you just wear a blanket all the time. You never heard of blankets for PearlHarbor.com? Uh, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna try. I'm guessing that doesn't exist. I hope that doesn't exist. Yeah. We're um, completely off the rails now. Happy mm-hmm. birthday in advance, Livius. Thanks, um, buddy. It, it's you know that in the time honored tradition of us um, recording on holidays, this today December fifth is a holiday as well. I do. Isn't this isn't this the anniversary of the day that they repealed prohibition? <laughs> I'm really shocked that you that you know that. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was right before we started. Uh, right before we hit record, I was telling Livius it's repeal day. I'm like, yeah, you know today's repeal day. Assuming that was enough, and I just hear silence from his end, and he's like, mm-hmm. well, "Did they? Did they?" He started asking a question. Um, but yeah, I had to explain. They repealed prohibition, so I'm drinking. So I'm drunk. Yeah, in in order to celebrate. That's right, because yeah. it affected me, you know, back in the day. Yep. 
Um, we may as well talk about the synopsis of the book because we actually are reviewing something. We uh, are, yeah. and what Rob is about to provide the listeners with is um, about <laughs> a quarter of the length of the entire work. So buckle, buckle your seatbelts. Uh, we're in for we're in for a little bit of a ride here. Then do some lung exercises. <clears throat> All right. There are two types of people who think professionally about the future. Foresight strategists and civil futurists who think about geoengineering and smart cities and ways to evade our coming doom. Um, that's the first type. Uh, strategic forecasters are spook futurists who think about geopolitical upheaval and drone warfare and ways to prepare clients for our coming doom. Now, weirdly, our coming doom is in... Oh, each word is capitalized. I'm already pulling this synopsis apart. I'm three sentences into it. The former are paid by nonprofits and charities, the latter by global security groups and corporate think tanks. For both types, if you're good at it and you spend your days and nights doing it, then it's something you can't do for long. Depression sets in, mental illness festers, and if the abyss gaze takes hold, there's only one place to recover, normal head, in the wilds of Oregon, within the secure perimeter of an experimental forest. When Adam Dearden, which always makes me think of Tyler Dearden, <clears throat> Adam Dearden, a foresight strategist, arrives at Normal Head. He's just he is desperate to unplug and be immersed in Sylvan silence. But then a patient goes missing from his locked bedroom, leaving nothing but a pile of insects in his wake. A staff investigation ensues. Surveillance becomes total as the mystery of the disappeared man unravels and Warren Ellis is normal. Adam uncovers a conspiracy that calls into question the core principles of how and why we think about the future and the past and the now. I, I understand that the whole abyss gaze thing goes back um, many, many years to um, Nietzsche. Is that how you pronounce it? Nietzsche? Yeah. Nietzsche? Nietzsche? Whatever. That guy. Frederick, right? I think. Yeah. Friedrich, whatever. Some German that guy. guy. Yeah. Um, good, old Freddy, like, good old Freddy Nietzsche's. Yeah. It just, just seems like I've been seeing that that whole abyss thing, you know, staring into the abyss kind of. Yeah, it's uh, a Richard a, Thomas a, book. Well, yeah, that too. But no, like a resurgence. And I mean like over the last couple of months that I doubt have anything to do with this Warren Ellis book. Have, have you noticed that? Is it just me? Um, I think, you know what, now that you say that, it makes me think of how we have run into, and then I'm probably going way off of the thought you're having, um, in, in that we've, we've encountered throughout the years just a string of fucking books whose titles are like quotes from Shakespeare. That's, uh, that's true. Uh, yeah, that's very true, actually. I didn't think about that, but yes, we have. So, yeah. yeah, like a similar thing. That's, that's what I feel like. Um, people take these high concepts or like defining, um, you know, thoughts and apply them to like the overall feel of what they're working on or something like that. And and in this story, I think that conceptually, he's he's. I mean, the book is titled Normal, um, which has nothing to do with anything we're talking about. But that whole concept of abyss gaze and stuff, I think, makes. Um, Makes a lot of sense in context of, of the story. Yeah, like, because you just you just go mad based on so like this may be putting the cart way way ahead of the horse, but um one of the overall themes of of the book is the idea that um, based on the synopsis you can tell that 
these people who with these jobs basically have to look into the, you know, to predict what crazy shit is going to happen in the future. And if you do that for too long, that's the staring into the abyss is like, you know, figuring out how, how shit's going to go wrong. It's going to just drive me nuts is essentially the idea. So, yeah. And, and I think there are hints at something that, that maybe, I don't know, maybe some people are taking very, very seriously today. I don't necessarily know that I agree with them, but that, that it is our impending doom or whatever it said in the synopsis that, that it's coming capital letters. Like it's a thing. Our, and, our coming doom, which is OCD. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. OCD. Our coming doom. Um, I, I don't hear too many people talk about the bright future ahead of us. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you have to imagine the people who who strategically are, are are looking forward into the future. Not not the gloom and doom Facebook posters who no matter what happens, you know, it's it's the wrong move for whatever elected official. But I mean people who legitimately are looking at economics or agriculture or whatever. You know, I, I guess there's a bunch of, yeah, climate or biological problems. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're looking at the end and they're just seeing it far more clearly than your average Facebook poster who's just posting it. Or those of us who try not to think about, you know. Hey, maybe that's where James Patterson, after he wrote that zoo book, he, um, he ended up going into the nuthouse for a while. Maybe. Maybe that's why other people are writing his books. Yeah. Well, that would have been a long time, long before we wrote Zoom. Yeah. All right. So that, that theory's falling apart. <laughs> here's uh, here's where we're at. We're with our uh, protagonist, Adam, who is uh, one of the types of people who basically the company uh, companies that he works for company basically has had him committed. Uh, he's gone a little loopy um, because of spending too much time looking at the future and uh, he goes a little bit nut. and when i say looking at the future where we're again we're not talking we're talking about prognosticators maybe not necessarily people yeah he doesn't have like a cripple, crystal ball or anything or a cripple yeah, ball but, yeah or a cripple <laughs> i'm glad you started drinking early um <laughs> you know he he is trying to predict um the directions that the the direction that we're going in in the future and, and it's driven him a little nuts so he is uh, secreted off to this um, facility that's in the middle of the woods, basically, on some government, I guess, owned property that used to be a town area. It has a whole backstory. It's called Normal Head. And uh, it's a really, um, I don't know, it's not that it's posh, but it's a very accommodating um, nuthouse. Right. I mean, I don't know. There's another way to say it. You see doctors and yeah. there are orderlies and you have a room and you have some privacy and you can kind of do what you want within reason there. Um, but you can't leave and you are subjected to some treatment, although kind of at your leisure. I got the feeling like you don't have to talk to a doctor today if you don't want to take a day or two kind of approach. Yeah, it was definitely not the the traditional um representation of what a like a nut house would be like um especially thinking back to books like uh Craig Clevenger's um Contortionist Handbook where one of the primary um like survival tactics of the character was um to know to anticipate what questions um like a psychiatrist psychologist psychiatrist um would ask of someone who had attempted suicide um in order to give the right answers to, to stay out of like a, a, a you know, 
uh, an asylum or a psych ward or whatever it is. Um, so this is like the exact opposite where it's like, you know, just, just be real, you know, be honest and tell us what's really going on in your head. And, you know, we just want to try and help you get better. And like, that's never the fucking case. It's like, let's try and find, like, let's hear what they say and then, you know, qualify it for whatever psychological problem most closely fits it. Seems like what the actual real world psych psychiatric profession is like and this is the exact opposite it's like it's kind of like yeah more of a vacation than yeah yeah i wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that how do i say this i, I don't think that anybody thinks these people have so much a psychotic break as this is just what happens when you do this job for long enough if that makes sense like it's yeah. it's um Ah, in my head, it makes perfect sense. It's like a long-term <laughs> injury. It, it, it's like getting like tennis elbow. Like it's just gonna happen. Right. If it's you more play like tennis long enough. So we're just gonna physical therapy kind here. of. Yeah, exactly. But for your mind, mental therapy. Mm -hmm. Yep. Or therapy. <laughs> so Adam uh, gets there uh, immediately. Begins to meet uh, as you would expect a, a bunch of the other people who are um, um, who are in treatment um, at this facility. And then, as it says in the synopsis, pretty early on, um, he witnesses something very, very bizarre, which doesn't do a whole lot for his for his mental state. Yeah. Um, and it's actually mentioned I was worried that it would be too much of a reveal. But um, uh, actually, if I explain why it would. But um, in the synopsis, it says that um, a person goes missing and left in their place is a pile of insects. So, like, yeah, he he's kind of awoken or whatever to like the sounds of like someone pounding on the door. Yeah. And this goes back to the permissive per permissiveness of, of the, of the building. Um, when he's checked in and they're taken to his room, they're like, here's the key. Just don't leave it in the lock. And that way they can, um, get into the room if they need to, to help him or whatever. And so the orderlies are pounding on this other person's door. And like, <laughs> it's funny. Cause like two pages earlier, they checked this guy in and now they're like, he must have left the key in the lock. And it's like, wow, you really fucking telegraphed that one, Warren Ellis. Um, but so the idea is they're they're locked out, but they're looking in and they can see that, like, where the guy would be laying is just this, like, ridiculous, like, person-sized pile of insects and stuff. And not what you would expect to see where you would expect to look for a person. So it's kind of creepy and it was a cool effect and everything. But then they have to figure out, hey, where did that guy go? Why are these insects everywhere? It's, it's uh, it really kind of sets off the story. Yeah, and I mean we're only gonna go a little bit more into the story. Um, Adam, the protagonist, is I don't know commissioned by one of the long-standing residents there um, to to investigate, and Adam is say uniquely qualified, but. Maybe he's uniquely qualified <laughs> to investigate what happened, and that's really the 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 gist of of the story. It's a becomes a little bit of a short detective story, and then I don't know what happens. Oh, did you not uh, finish reading the? We could have like taken another day. Oh no no, I finished it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no no, I finished <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I was trying to be funny, and obviously. No oh, no yeah no I. Uh... Yeah. I sadly I, I wasn't <laughs> like I don't Oh don't no, do you not know what happened? All right, so um No, I know. We'll we'll talk about it. Spoiler <laughs> talk upcoming, I can tell you right now. Uh yeah, we'll probably have to do some spoiler talk on this one. Um yeah, so though we don't want to spoil the story, 
Um, there are a few things that I'd like to comment on that were, were kind of thematic or, or interesting about the story. So one of the things in the synopsis is there's two types of people who think professionally about the future, and then it names foresight strategists and where's the other foresight strategist and strategic forecasters, strategic forecasters. Um, and that's the only people that are in this weird little nut house. And so when they go to like a common area where people just gather and, you know, spend time like we're for lunch or whatever, um, there, there's weirdly all the foresight strategists are on one side and then the strategic, whatever people are on the other side and they never cross over and talk to each other. Um, which was kind of weird, and I don't know if I got a good enough impression about the different um, jobs to understand why, but that was something that was, like, very noticeable. It was like, these people never talk to these people. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, one of them, and it's the um, uh, the foresight strategists are... And it says it a little bit in the in the um, synopsis. So they're paid by like nonprofits and stuff. So yeah. so they they're the uh, the wholesome people who look at the future and how to help you know keep us intact or whatever. The rest of them are paid by the big corporations. So it, it's kind of that like hippie versus greedy. Mm, that makes sense. You know what I mean? So you've got the people who are really looking into things like. How can we use drones to do this, this, and that when other people are like, well, if we can reroute water sources. Right. You know, so, so they're vastly different. It seems like one of them is paid by the people who are looking for um, monetary and global domination versus the people who are just looking to, like, help the environment and make sure that we're good people and that we have, like, air to breathe for another, you know, whatever, 500 years. So it makes sense that there's a yeah. segregation, I think. Yeah. But conceptually – I have no like no issues with the cat. This some of this stuff is really really fascinating. Yeah, um, they're all completely spooked by surveillance. So this uh, normal the facility um, has internet only for people who are they're almost close to like an outpatient status. Like they're not okay to go back into the real world, but they can continue to do work for their organization. Like in a halfway house kind of. Yeah, yeah. So they live. Like, not in the common area, but they have, like, their own little huts, and they have internet, which can be used to do their work. So they're slowly being integrated back into the workforce. Yeah. Um, but other than that, there are no cell phones allowed. No other types of communication. Um, even though there are cameras everywhere, you are given a private area, mostly because people are just freaked out. But the whole place is, like, air-gapped, right? Like, with the exception of the people on, who have the internet. Like, none of that stuff transmits anywhere. So they're really kind of right. cut off from the world in a way yeah. um, to make these people feel safer because of how freaked out they are by, you know, organizations. <laughs> um, so side note on this, Livius, let's just kind of think about this for a second. What realistic duration could you survive without access to any of your technology? <sighs> you know... I mean, are you talking about if I was at in normal, if I was in the place? Like if you were just like, yeah, like you were cut off. Or if I was like, hey, I will give you, you know, X dollar amount for every, you know, X amount of time that you go without. Like if, you know, as a, as a, as a test of your will, how long do you think you could go before breaking? See, it's hard to say because I have no will to do it. 
So again, if no, but you see these people who, who yeah. they go, oh, for a million dollars, could you turn all your shit off for 60 days? Absolutely no problem. Right, right. Well, that's fucking insane. Yeah, well, but that's, you know what I mean? So it, it's kind of like if the world doesn't have it, then yeah, then there's nothing new for me to get. I don't know. I could, are we including TV in this? Because I can spend a lot of time in front of a TV. You can you get you can watch a selection of VHS tapes hand curated by David James Keaton. Oh God, fuck that! I don't, I don't know that I could do that at all. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's a tough question to answer. Could I, if I had to? Yes, I wouldn't go crazy. I wouldn't get abyss gaze or whatever <laughs> to, 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 from not having that stuff. Um, you know, if I could have some books to read, and, and if I could just, if I had unlimited TV resources, I can go without the internet altogether. Like indefinitely, I, I mean, I wouldn't want to. I could. Again, yeah, you know, yeah. it's hard to qualify. I mean, what, what do you think? What, what do you? Where are you at on this? Um. So I'm imagining a scenario where I'm still in my. Well, I couldn't work. <laughs> um. That's the thing. So like, I'm imagining I'm in a situation where like, reality is suspended enough where I can go about my daily life, but um, minus technology. Um. Yeah, communication would just be the downside. Like, unless I had like a landline phone, it would be not. It would be a short amount of time, man. Like, I'm thinking three to five days. Yeah, see, so much of that just depends on the motivation. You know, if we just made a bet, that I, I probably wouldn't make it out at the end of the. But by the time we were done, you know, coming up <laughs> with the betting stuff, one week for the podcast. Be, <laughs> yeah, it just it wouldn't. You know, I don't know. I was just that, curious. Uh, it was, you know. Is there a name for those memes where you push the button? Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm. Have you ever seen them? Where it says, like, you can have this, but then this happens. So, like, one no. of my think is, like, you could have a million dollars, but then you couldn't use the internet for 60 days. And there's always a picture of the button. It's like, would you push the button? I li- I've never seen this before. I, I, I will start sharing them. They're, they're pretty big, or were pretty big, at least for a while, on Imager. Yeah. Um, if I see some, I'll send them your way. That's what that's what you thought of. Did I just do that meme to you without even knowing that meme yeah, existed? Pretty, yeah, pretty, well, pretty much. Yeah. Huh. All right. All right. Interesting. So, back to our our uh, normal. That was one of the big things to me was was the um, the weird demarcation between the foresight strategists and the strategic forecasters, which basically is two different ways of saying the same job. Um. The other real, like, the real presence in the book for me, if you want to think about, like, the thing that was so constantly at the forefront of my thoughts while I was reading this was the fact that, like, everybody, every character, except for possibly the employees of Normal Head, um, were insane. So we were reading the thoughts of insane people and the conversations of insane people and, and basically a detective novel that play, takes place with a bunch of crazy nutheads. Um, so it was a little disorienting for me. I don't know if you experienced the same thing, Livius, but like, it wasn't like there was weird schizophrenic things going on. The, the it was more of like a mental instability or unbalance. But it was just, every time I was reading something from the perspective of a character or about what the character was thinking, it was just like, it seemed like it was more effort than it was reading like a normal person. I agree with you on it was more effort, but I, I, I think I took a different approach to it. Um, because of who these people are, I, I kind of 
I'm trying. There was a. There was a. Was it a Sylvester Stallone movie? No, a Mel Gibson movie. <laughs> many years ago. This is where we need David James Keaton. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna. He's well. He or would like, just start talking about over the top. Where it was. Yeah. Where <laughs> no, it was Mel Gibson, and it was like all of the conspiracy theories were true. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's called conspiracy theory. It, okay, all right, that one. But I, I, I kind of, I kind of, in my head, thought about it this way: not so much that they were crazy, but that they were armed with the information. So all the stuff they thought is actually true because they're the ones that either put that into play or studied that that's what's happening. So does that the, make sense? Okay. Um, so they're crazy to us. They just know. But, so it's not that their minds were malfunctioning; it was that they just. They're aware of all the crazy things in the world. Right. So I, I took it a little different. And, and yes, I know that they're a little mentally imbalanced. But when they talked, I took pretty much what they said <laughs> at, at face value. Of course you did. Well, because they they are the people. They are the specialists. They're the ones that, that look into the things and understand the things that you and I choose not to see or don't believe or don't or aren't privy to the study that goes into that. Now I'm looking up conspiracy theory on IMDb. Mel Gibson, Julia Roberts, Patrick I don't Stewart. Remember, I don't remember it being a really good movie, but much like this book, I remember it being a great concept. So the IMDb user Daniel Leary describes the movie as a man obsessed with conspiracy theories becomes a target after one of his theories turns out to be true. Unfortunately, in order to save himself, he has to figure out which theory it is. Riveting stuff, guys. That Mel Gibson, that was before he hated Jews, right? Wow, that's the thing. I think he hated Jews all along. Really? Yeah. Like, do you right. think he just suddenly was, he woke up one morning and he's like, the Jews control everything or whatever? Maybe he was a foresight strategist and we just don't know it. Yeah, that could be. He finally lost his shit after staring into the, the Jew abyss for too long. <laughs> you got the abyss gaze? Maybe. I don't know. Staring into the abyss. Nice. There you Very go. There it is. Good. All right. Anything um, else you want to talk about about this uh, this story before we take it over to spoiler talk, so I can talk about it? <laughs> um, I've got a couple quotes. Yeah, let's do some quotes. So, uh, um, just a couple of examples of like the weird. So, because a lot of uh, most of the characters in the book are, are checked into a, a mental institution, you can probably expect to have a little bit of weird dialogue or or things just phrased in uncommon ways and um um this quote here i don't really know the exact context of it but um it's just the wording not necessarily the overall concept that was fun that was interesting to me anyway uh the absolute best thing anyone can do is grab desperately at the throttle but they don't because it's a speeding death kaleidoscope made out of tits yes yes i remember that I only have one quote because the other things I highlighted were just kind of things for me to remember for the review. Um, at one point, a character is uh, is is taking a lot of pills, a lot of pills. And, and here's the quote that I actually liked. He had the feeling he hadn't taken enough yet, but he couldn't remember how many he'd taken. So enough was turning into a bit of a bullshit metric. I remember that specifically. That was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have another one? Nope. All right, I'm just going to do one more. Um, I'm going to do one and a half more. So this one I just thought was just 
I just love this. Like, I identified on a very personal level with this. She fixed him with a gaze that said she had looked into the void and that she was not really impressed with it. <laughs> I, that was I, great. Do, I do remember that. That was very clever. Um, and then finally, I don't remember the context of this either, but Dixon appeared from nowhere like the world's shittiest elf. <laughs> I guess maybe I missed some some really funny stuff in there. There was that really was humorous, yeah, 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 stuff. Yeah. Um, so I guess we're going to kick it over to for our Patreon contributors. We're going to do a little spoiler talk on this book, and I guarantee you that all of the entertaining shit is going to be in the spoiler talk. So head over there. And listen to that. If you're not currently a Patreon contributor, patreon.com slash booked. Um, even if you're giving just a dollar a month, you'll have access to spoiler talk and you can hear all the crazy stuff we say about the book that will spoil the ending for you. All right. We're uh, we're now back from spoiler talk and I think we're going to kick it right over to Rob for a wrap up. <laughs> all right. So as we uh, talked about in a previous episode, this was the giving Warren, El- Warren Ellis another chance after being disappointed by gun machine and right up front. Um, I want to say that I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed gun machine. Um, but at the same time, I'm glad we didn't ask Paul Tremblay to come back on, um, to, to refute with us like he did for gun machine, because I'm not sure how he would feel about it. Uh, it was an interesting story. I think it was very, very heavy in concepts and ideas and stuff and less heavy in narrative and a three-act structure and stuff like that because there was definitely a beginning and a middle, but as Olivia's pointed out earlier, not very strong on the end. The story did kind of wrap itself up and everything, but not in a way that was really satisfying or uh, in the way of a story. It was, like Livia said, it was kind of expositional through a conversation after the fact, which is kind of like cheating. Instead of giving us the action, just tell us what the action was. So, not super satisfactory. I did dig the whole, you know, the weirdness of the future thing, and and these are... um, Because the thing it does is it does tell us that, like, these are realities that we could be facing sooner than maybe we think. So, it did kind of plant the seed of, like, this is fucked up stuff that very realistically could be happening right now. So that makes you think. And that was really cool. How the bugs in, in the, in that are mentioned in the synopsis play later on is a very entertaining thing and um, really inspired a lot of thoughts. And like now, you know, might make me think when I think, see a bug, remember the story and, and what happened with those and everything. But um, I think that the pretty much the entire time I was entertained and I, and I enjoyed the story, but it did leave me wanting. So I'm a little bit confused. I'm a little on the fence about this story. But overall, uh, I'm going to go three stars with it. I made a mistake. And that mistake was to think that Crooked Little Vane was what he writes. And I think that that may have been the exception. And, and I'm not talking quality here. I'm not talking uh, you know, anything like that. The quality of his writing, as in Gun Machine, I, I think is good. I don't think there's anything wrong with the, with the way that he writes. Um, I just think that that story was maybe the odd man out, and, and I, you know, I hope the Gun Machine was the odd man out. And now I'm hoping normal. And really, the mistake was on on my end and in my expectations. Um, this might have been 
one of the highest concept stories that that I think we've reviewed here. Like it had all the potential and all the makings of something that could have been really, really terrific. Um, and I don't know if it was the fact that it was a novella and he was just looking to put something short out or if he didn't realize that he had some great characters and some great potential for some things. Um, a lot of ideas introduced. Uh, reminds me a little bit of uh, 1Q84. Some great stuff there that was just left by the wayside that, that should have been explored a little more deeply. Of course, that book failed to do that in 900 pages, and this one failed to do it in, in 150 or, or, or whatever it was. So um, it's tough because I, I know that I'll have some of these characters and some of these ideas on my mind a long time from now, but but the story or a little bit what I'm going to say, and, and I don't mean this as biting it sounds, but the lack of a story that, that was happening here um, will probably make the novel or the novella itself kind of fall to the wayside, even if some of the characters and concepts remain. Rob's right. It's a scary world that that we're living in if you, if you start to think about it too hard. Uh, I, I've been known to go down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole, which I, I guess would be the staring into the abyss, um, you know, portion of this. If you do it for long enough, you really start to scare the shit out of yourself. Um, so I, I think that he did a good job in in kind of showing us some of the things that maybe are happening, potentially could happen. But I think the characters were just underused um, overall throughout the story. So it's tough because, you know, you, you want to give it a rating. And I think, man, high concept, high concept. I love the concept. Um, but ultimately, the story didn't didn't play out well for me. Um, yeah, a beginning and a middle, certainly no real end or, or not an end that, that, you know, I want to see. And I'm glad that Rob agreed with me uh, to some extent that it wasn't as complete as maybe it needed to be. Um, yeah, Rob's Rob's on, on, on point with this. I'm going to go with three stars. Wah, wah. I'm let down by my own expectations. That's that's the problem. <laughs> it's not you, Warren. It's me. So we're going to hate read the next Warren Ellis thing. I like the sound of his short story collection, Dead Pig Collector. Like, something's going on there. Yeah, I don't know. Something disappointing, maybe? (laughs) I I don't know what what we're going to see the next, next, uh, if we're going to read the next Warren Ellis book, maybe. But let's talk about, let's talk about this for a minute. This was originally serialized. And the note says, serialization, what is it? Who wants it? And why would we ever do this? So what is it? It's when an author takes a work and decides to release it over a, a, a period of time. So I, I think that we know this. So I'm going to say that we know this was already released in the UK like a year ago. Yeah, like forever ago. Mm-hmm. So it was complete, but we chose to release it in four parts. Four parts. Uh, one part a month, I think, or something along those lines. And and I'm trying. I, I have I have a thought, but... Rob, what 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 reasons do you have to think that that this would be done that way? Um, the same reason that we want to do our best to release a podcast episode every week, uh, keep people coming back to like have a consistent and dedicated audience, um, which in certain mediums works really well, like YouTube channels, podcasts, some more of a visual or audio medium. I think it's a very useful thing. With the written word, I think it was great in like the early 1900s. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, my first thought was money grab. Okay. Like, how could we get more money out of this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you did four and they were five ninety nine each, that's more than one at seven ninety nine or nine ninety nine or whatever. Right. 
but I, you know, I, I started, so I'm going to, I'm going to go benefit of the doubt here. My first thought, and, and ultimately my thought is still money grab. So let me say that right from the beginning. Um, Warren I started Ellis, thinking about what, what, what Warren Ellis does and, and he does comic books and graphic novels, which are very, very serialized. And I, it's odd cause I had a conversation today with somebody whose son owns a comic book store and we talked about a podcast. Comic books are one of those weird things because I don't think there's anything in the world that I want to like as much as comic books and then fail to do repeatedly. <laughs> Besides Warren Ellis books? Besides Warren, yeah, yeah, there you go. Maybe I found one other thing. Um, and, and the reason for that is I'm, I'm used to reading long-form fiction and, and quite a bit of it. So I sit down and I read this in two sittings. That's 150 pages. If I get the latest issue of the X-Men or, or whatever, I'm fairly certain and I'm not taking away from it as an art form. I, I, I'm fascinated by them, but I'm literally going to be through that thing in about six minutes and then have to wait a month for the next installment. And, and maybe that's just not how I like my media. So let's relate that back to why we would serialize this. Maybe he's looking for bite-sized fiction for his fans who are used to reading what bite-sized fiction from him. Hmm. And maybe that would be the reason to serialize it. But then, then, last night, completely unrelated. When I say completely unrelated, I, I say this in my in my sober, non-conspiracy theory mental state. I say non-related. <laughs> uh -oh. The rest of me, I said to Rob earlier, the, the goddamn phone is listening to me, so I maybe I'll end up in normal. <laughs> because as I'm thinking about serialization, I just finished this. I don't know how or why, but you know, YouTube based on the stuff you've seen shows you stuff you might want to see, even if you're not subscribed to it. Yeah. This thing pops up in my YouTube feed that says how to write a book in 24 hours. So I click on this thing and the guy is some kind of guru who sells courses and, and all kinds of other things. And he's written hundreds of books, hundreds of books for the Kindle store and he talks about how he outsources some of them to be written. And then he starts talking about, you know, we have it in our minds. The book is this 300-page thing and how, you know, maybe that should just be, you know, six books that are 50 pages each and how you can make more money. Do You know what I mean? So it really yeah. played into – yeah. I mean he was talking exactly about the serialization of this book. Um, in, in a money grab kind of way. But then he was saying, oh, for a lot of people, you know, the, the, he threw out some statistic like 75% of books, you know, people who buy them don't get through the first like whatever it is, 20% of them. So that it's a, it's a better value for your customer to have these smaller, lower price books and how they feel a sense of accomplishment from reading it. They enjoy it. They come back and get others. <laughs> and, they, and Well, you know what I mean? There was this whole thing, but ultimately came down to. Write a book in 24 hours for 30 page, you know, write 30 pages basically in a 24 hour period and throw it up on the Kindle store and see what sticks. Can I, can I float a, an idea? Yes. So right now it seems like we're kind of anti-serialization. That is more of a it, gimmick. It, it, it only seems that way. <laughs> let me, let me clarify. All right. So right now <laughs> we are definitively anti-serialization. Um, but what if they did the Netflix method where, it was serialized, but they were all released at the same time. Now, that might seem like more of a money grab, but if you're a person who reads everything at once, you buy it as a group and you read it all at once. If you're a person who likes to read it in smaller bites, you buy them either as a group or one at a time and go through them at your own pace. 
funny you say that because Netflix came to mind and the statistics on people who binge watch and how that is the way that a lot of people want to consume their media is to have it all at once. So, yeah, that could be something where you serialize and you put them all out at once and then people don't get burned. So instead of paying 12 bucks, you pick up the first part of this. And you go, meh, I don't think this is for me. I'm out three bucks or whatever. Right. And, and, and I'm on. done. Yeah, that, that would be another good way to do it. Uh, I just don't know, like, who wants this? So we're going to have, so Warren Ellis aside, and, and I'll go back to the first serialization of this kind that I remember. And I'm not talking about the newspaper stuff or the magazine stuff in the 1900s that you so eloquently mentioned. <laughs> Stephen King's The Green Mile. Sure. If you're a Stephen King fan... You have to be okay with, and you have to be used to reading books that at a minimum are like five, six hundred pages. So what Stephen King fan wanted to get nine or ten much shorter Stephen King, I don't want to say stories, (laughs) because if they're individual stories, that makes sense. I don't think that the average fiction consumer is looking for a serialization of something. Makes sense to me, yeah, yeah. And it's not, it's not a, you know, you can go one step farther and say, all right, I'm just releasing a chapter every time I'm done writing one. In this case, this was all finished. We know it was finished because it was available somewhere else in, in already. So it's almost like you could say, well, then what do you say about a trilogy? A tri- or let Harry Potter. That's one big story. And did we need seven books or whatever? Well, uh, those are being I mean, kind of 4,000 pages. Went. Well, but they're also, you know, you were getting them not as they were being written per se, but, you know, one was in the can probably, you yeah. know, while one was coming out, you know, and one came out every year, I think, if that's correct. So let's take a so. Right, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. But let's, let's go off of that. They were all their own enclosed story. And if this was serialized, that means that, like, I only read part one. Was that a story that was satisfying start to finish? Was there there was there a reasonable finish to part one or part two or part three? I'm going to go ahead and say part three was, like, six pages or something like that. I think one of the parts was, like, super, super tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that, thinking about it that way, I don't think that any of the parts in this book stand up as their own story on their own. Right. And that's what I was going to say. I can't. I don't think that a, a series that's a trilogy or... or, or seven books I, I yeah that's what it is there's a big story but then there are smaller stories that get closed out in each book that's kind of the standard yeah and i'm not saying we shouldn't buck the standard occasionally and try something new i just don't know that taking and breaking up um 50 shades of gray was like that do you remember how unfinished it felt when we finished that book and then we found out that yeah because book two picks up the next day <laughs> yeah 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 um, so i don't know yeah. so let's answer the question we know what serialization is it who wants it in this type of fiction, I'm going to go with almost nobody. Yep. Um, and why would we ever do this? this money. Goes back to money. That's all I can think of. No, I, I just think that like people see. I go back to people see the potential of of the audio or the visual format, and they're trying to do that with books because they're like, "Hey, I'm great at writing books. There's got to be a way for me to break this up into smaller bite-sized pieces." No, just don't. Just write another book. Yeah. That's that's what I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with, and again defend Warren Ellis. Maybe he was reaching out to the comic book crowd. Could be, but I mean, again, you know. Can you just imagine though? Can you imagine being into comic books and getting thirty pages? It's what's got to be maybe a thousand words, fifteen hundred words once a month. For like five bucks a shot. Well, regardless of the price, just the the frustration in in the story not 
advancing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I can't enough I, at a time. Yeah, I can't do. I can't do comic books. I just can't do it. Yeah, I still want to. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. A, uh, I think a little bit of an embittered review of of a guy who we we desperately want to love. <laughs> I think that if anything shines through, it should be the fact that we really, really want to enjoy his stories, and we just aren't <laughs> finding something that something that works for us. And I think that comes down to like our gun machine just wasn't good. But in this case, it's like we we really wanted to, but it wasn't something that suited us very well because of the serialization and because of the fact that the story just kind of peters out. But I think he's trying to cross cross media or cross platform things in a way that just isn't working in his favor. Like there's got to be some revolutionary formula out there, but he just has not discovered it yet. No, that that's the thing. If he would have. So with Gun Machine, I remember just not being a big fan of the concept. But it right. was a fully realized story. Yeah. Beginning, middle, and end explored some things great. The concept here, much better than Gun Machine. <laughs> but maybe Gun Machine should have been the novella, the serialized novella. Yeah. And maybe this would have been the Warren Ellis. Well, it wouldn't have been the masterpiece because the masterpiece is Crooked Little Vane. Let's talk, let's talk about something else, too, because this this has come up a couple of times, <laughs> probably off the air. I know we poor Warren Ellis. We've really taken him through to, through the ringer with this. But there are other iconic books. There, there are some iconic books that I think you and I both love. I think we both have some individual favorites. And, you know, will anything ever live up to that? So um, I, I think of uh, Apathy and Other Small Victories. Yeah. A book that uh, there was only one of. No, no follow-up book was written. Um, and, and although, again, desperate, desperate to read a follow up. Yeah. And like so far as like we've <laughs> this is how so we've been doing this podcast for five years. And just like anybody who is passionate about a topic that they that they talk about and they work in, there's things that we want to happen for selfish reasons. And another book by Paul, Paul Nealon mm-hmm. would be just like a heaven send. But we haven't gotten it, and um, like we went, <laughs> we went so far as to review that kind of copycat book. <laughs> oh my god, that fucking thing! <laughs> Just because it sounded like close enough where we might enjoy it, um, but the but the idea, or so what I'm trying to say is, um, uh, shit, what am I trying to say? I don't know. It's that you can never go home. Oh again, yeah, yeah, right. Okay. But for books, is that kind of well? Um, we we've gone so far as the contact of the author of of um, apathy and other small victories, Paul Nealon, and gotten him to agree to talk to us on the podcast. However, we don't have a reason to bring him on. If that makes sense, like we don't have. Hey, he's about to. You know, we want to break his new book and get it to as many people as possible. Um, and so we're going to have him on and talk to him. That has not happened yet, so we're kind of reserving that for when is the appropriate time. So, like, our enthusiasm is there. <laughs> we're just waiting for that to happen, but um, we want to do it. We want to do it right. And we want to do it when it makes sense too. So, there's a lot of us just kind of waiting for shit to drop. It happens all the time. It's crazy. You know, but it's it's possible too that that sometimes maybe maybe you've got the one brilliant book. Um. You know, yeah. we, we've we've had an author on this podcast who talked about how 
wildly successful one book was and how there were some sales to the follow-up book, but they weren't quite as good. And then the next book didn't do very well, um, you know, and, and yeah. in some cases, I love all of those books, but maybe it's not for everybody. Sometimes maybe when someone is just unique or fresh enough in their view that maybe it can't be duplicated. I, I hate to say that because I feel <laughs> like I'm discouraging people from from doing stuff and I'm not. But when so, I, I think about it, a lot of my favorite authors, the first one I read is not just my favorite, but by far my favorite. There are a couple of exceptions. So what we're, what I'm hearing is Paul Nealon is our generation's Harper Lee. Yeah, so far, I would have to agree with that. If you have not read Apathy and Other Small Victories, I'm going to strongly recommend you read that. It is um, it's the funniest book I've ever read. Yeah, you love that book, man. Fucking love that book. Love it like I love Crooked Little Vane. <laughs> so are we done? I mean, this is really like this is like a eulogy for like our hopes, <laughs> I think. And I think we're talking a lot about. I mean, we're sound a little negative. So are we are we done with this, or is there more oh, yeah. to explore here? No, no, I'm feeling a little negative right now. Mm. <laughs> so let's bring up our our cheers a little bit with some. You want to talk about holiday stuff? Ooh, I love holidays. I fucking hate holidays. But yeah, we can talk about holiday stuff. So, um, we're recording on December 5th, which means that there's one, maybe two, probably one episode in between this mm. Mm. zero episodes. Mm, there are zero episodes in between this and the <laughs> holiday episode. This is why Livius is our calendar man. So I do, like, think about everything that has to happen for a podcast and then subtract um, scheduling things. And Livius does the scheduling things part of the podcast. Right. Um, now, so, yeah. I think that the the advantage I have over you when we talk about these things is that I function highly prior to 11 p.m. at night. And I think you only <laughs> do the podcast stuff at like 2 in the morning. That's pretty much but when I do I it, I think yeah. that's when you're highly functioning. So I don't think we're ever right on the same... Like wavelength. So yeah. Yeah. Tentatively we're gonna be recording our holiday episode on the fourteenth, and that could move one day either way, and then a couple days to get out. So it may be a little bit more than a week until you get that, but we wanted to have the holiday episode out earlier than the twenty third, which might be when we put it out last year. <laughs> so that people <laughs> can enjoy the holiday stuff. Um, you know, in time for the holidays. We're cracking to go. We've got some really fun concepts. Um we have as long as everybody remains awake in, in, up to the time that we start recording, um, our favorite um, holiday hosts. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be a great time. Um, and back back by absolutely zero demand <laughs> will be our gift exchange. <laughs> We've never gotten one fucking like small bit of feedback that that was a good idea. But I think it's one of my favorite things. Yeah, so we enjoy it, and and that is totally something we do that's that's self serving and and just fun for us. So, um, we're doing it again this year. Rob, do you have your gifts picked out? Um, yeah, I know what I know what I know what you're getting. I know what Amanda's getting. I'm still stuck on Jesse, man. That guy is so difficult to to think of to shop for. You know what makes Jesse difficult to shop for? What is that? I don't know what he has. <laughs> If that makes sense. Like, I have some ideas, and I'm like, ah, he, he, you know what? He probably already has that. I might just send him some soundproofing foam. 
<laughs> oh, that's true. So, yeah, listen, uh, yeah. Let us, those rats. A, a glass cage for the rats. Yeah, because those yeah. rats are loud as hell every yep. time he's. <laughs> that is, yeah, cool hamster wheel yourself. going. Yeah, mm-hmm. so um, I only have one of the three gifts um, picked out and ready to go. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm depending on Amazon to do their two-day delivery thing here shortly <laughs> once I come up with the other two. But anyway, it'll be fun. We will do some holiday theme stuff. Rob and I are going to talk about some of that holiday theme stuff once this episode is over. Like in four minutes, we're going to talk about this. Stuff, like yeah. in four minutes, we're going to talk about it. Um, but it's going to be our next episode again. You might get a, a day or two gap um, depending you, on how long. Do you want to know? All right. So, so props to Jesse. I already received the gifts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Me too. They're sitting about four feet above my head right now. Jesse is always uh, really on top of that. He is much better at that than we are. Yeah. Good guy. I'm very excited. I love... We're not going to talk about uh, the human centipede this year like we did last time, but there is homework. People will be doing some some watching and possibly some reading uh, in preparation for this, so it'll be a good time. Yep. So we have that coming up. Um, I, I I know we're going a little long here, but Rob is really, really passionate um, about the new mummy movie. No, oh, here's yeah. what I know about it. Rob is not happy about it. That's and I know that Tom Cruise is in it. That is everything I know about this movie. So I have some specific objections, especially to the trailer that I watched last night. Mm-hmm. Um, before we even get into that, I'm gonna read what I posted on my Facebook. Um, and then and there's a special reaction. Um So, I posted yesterday, um, last night I watched the trailer for this new Tom Cruise The Mummy movie, which is a reboot of the classic Brandon Fraser uh, Mummy movie series, which, did you watch that, Livius, at all, any of those? I I did see the the first one uh, a long time ago, like when it came out, yeah. Brandon Fraser was like, um, he was like the low-rent Indiana Jones, Mm -hmm. that was like the whole idea, but like... But that was the idea. The movie was like it was like it was a movie. It was a mummy story with Brendan Fraser, who was was just like a low rent Indiana Jones, and that was was what made it so fantastic. I watched this new trailer, and here's what I here's what I wrote about it. Tom Cruise is in what I'm guessing is going to be a profoundly awful mummy movie. When the trailer is 75% Tom Cruise in a crashing airplane, you know you're in for some garbage. Brendan Fraser or nothing, I say. Now, within eight hours, <laughs> our potential new um, uh, TV correspondent, Emily, from Portland, M in Portland, remember that, from, from Twitter, um, responded to my, my post saying, I will be on my deathbed ranting that The Mummy, yes, the one with Brendan Fraser, is one of the best movies of all time. To which this I replied, sounds a little bit like a kindred spirit. I mean, to which I replied, you're hired. <laughs> there you go. So I, I am watching um this trailer as we speak, and I am um I am now a good thirty percent of the way in. <laughs> and yes, there's Tom Cruise on a plane, <laughs> and now there's turbulence. Here we go. I'm just gonna let you I'm gonna sit silently while you watch this and listen to your reactions. Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, I don't know how interesting podcasting this is going to be, but Tom Cruise, uh, so the plane was hit by a, a bunch of birds that have broken the glass and are causing the plane to crash, and Tom Cruise and some chick are getting bounced around the cargo bay in, like, what almost looks like a, a high-speed version of Tom Cruise doing that where he's dropping in from the ceiling in the Mission Impossible movies. <laughs> but, like, if you sped it up and, like, rewound it, flipped the screen sideways... And now the plane has crashed at uh, roughly sixty percent. So yeah, Rob, I think you're you're pretty. Your math was pretty close there. And now are all these people gonna get up? In the oh no, that's Tom Cruise wakes up in a body bag. <laughs> oh, the mummy was on the plane. Yeah, I guess. And now I'm guessing the crash has dislodged the mummy, who has some. Cr- Holy shit with the eye things, the pupils. The, yeah, that was weird. That was really kind of cool, actually. It's Tom Cruise breathing underwater. Tom Cruise flying through a bus, much like he was flying through that cargo. Oh, the mummy's a hottie, though. <laughs> the sexy mummy trailer. Are you done? So here's the thing. First of all, when they were still on the plane and it was like, you know, crashing and everything, did you hear that ridiculous, like, bitch scream that Tom Cruise does? No, you know what? I didn't because I had the sound turned down pretty, pretty low. Do me a favor and just go back and find that part and watch it again. I'll edit this so we don't have to experience it. All right, so let's see. The plane's about to get hit. Now, there are two screams. Are you sure you didn't think the girl scream? Oh, no, never mind. I just heard what you were... Yeah, I, <laughs> I didn't go far enough. <laughs> Did you get it? Oh, yeah. yeah. That was a ridiculous bitch scream, right? There are numerous ridiculous bitch screams. It's just, every time I think I hear the one that you were talking about, it just gets worse. It's like 10 seconds of Tom Cruise just like moaning <laughs> like yeah. at a high at like a high level of volume is the weirdest fucking so that is my major objection is that Tom Cruise does this bitch scream in a crashing airplane which first of all crashing airplane like a cargo like military plane what does that have to do with mummies at all first of all right so let's even back it up a little bit Livius how much of this like Let's just say they removed, like, the eight seconds, maybe, of this two-minute trailer that actually had a mummy in it. Actually, was there a mummy in it? Yes. It's a woman mummy with, like, lots of weird tattoos. But does she look like a traditional mummy with, like... No. No, she's not wrapped in toilet paper, no. She's not wrapped in toilet paper. So remove her from the the trailer. Do you think it's a mummy? Or even, like, a horror-slash... You know, monster movie? No, it just looks like a bad plane crash movie. Bad plane crash movie? Yeah. Like, how fucking awful... How awful is this? I mean, I have to assume this is what they kind of call, like, a teaser trailer. No, there was a teaser trailer. Oh, okay. And it was, like, her weird pupil breaking off into two... That is one of the coolest things I've seen. Irises or whatever. That is one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. It gets, it gets some points for that. As a person who wears glasses, I took it as a personal insult. It was like the four eyes. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because like her yeah. irises break off into two separate. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't prepare formal comments on how terrible this fucking trailer is, but Tom Cruise and his Tom Cruise and his bitch scream was absolutely the most insulting part of it. Because what does it even mean? Does that mean he's like he's like a little bitch? Or, and then why does he wake up in a body bag? Did he die? I I, I think they thought he was dead. Like he crashed because he got the other chick off the plane. Oh yeah, because he 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 ejected her through the yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm thinking they thought he was dead. I I don't. I'm not really clear on what's happening here. I'll be honest. I don't know why I'm trying to defend it. I don't know. Um, it looks. I do know that I will likely not be seeing that movie. Yeah, fuck that movie. The other thing that 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 comes to mind when I watch that and I think about Tom Cruise is um, I'm going to go back to something we said earlier just like money grab because isn't Tom Cruise at the point isn't he at the Tom Hanks point of his career where he should only be getting things for which he should be Oscar nominated well one would think if if you're buying into the Scientology conspiracy theory right like they basically run Hollywood and he should be getting just like all the great parts but instead he's Jack Reacher yeah, I was going to say, he did Jack a, Reacher. Yeah, he's in 15 now. Mission Impossible movies, and now he's he's the low, low, he's the low-rent Brendan Fraser. Really, <laughs> <is what> he, <laughs> so, thank you so much, because that was like, honestly, the best part of this trailer was me walking away from this trailer thinking, I am so happy for Brendan Fraser right now. Yeah, but <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. why isn't he doing the roles where he's... I don't know. He's he's playing Theodore Roosevelt in a movie or like he's a big enough name that he right. should be at that. Like I said, you know, the Tom Hanks point of his career. And instead, he's playing just action movies. So he, it just has to be for the dollar amount. That That's all I can think of is that it's just for the money. He's playing. Let's see. What's the name of his character? Nick Morton. Famous, famous character in, in literature, Nick Morton. Yeah, that's the thing. Like and it's not like he doesn't have the acting talent. <laughs> That's the thing. If you watch the movie, a few good men, he mm-hmm. fucking kills it in that movie. Yeah. It's inside of him somewhere. He's like the Monica Drake of making movies right now. <laughs> like oh, Jesus, we know it's in there somewhere. He's just making ah. bad choices about what story he represents. Yeah. And like I said, the only thing I can think of is that this will be uh, if even if this movie is a piece of shit, it's going to make like three hundred billion dollars. Right. Exactly. Three hundred billion dollars. Yeah. The penny. And, and he probably signs on. He he probably is also at the point where he's like, I'll do these movies. And yeah, it's going to be twenty million dollars and one percent of whatever or something. So I don't know, man. I did watch that first Jack Reacher movie. It wasn't terrible. Yeah, I don't know. I saw the trailer for the new one, and like he punches through a car window to grab someone. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't happen, especially for a guy who's fifty-four years old. I don't care what kind of shape you're in. That wouldn't happen. Sorry, Tom Cruise. <laughs> the Mummy. Now, here's what I'm gonna do. Instead of I'm gonna go watch the original Mummy with Brendan Fraser and that hot mm-hmm. chick, who I don't know her name. That movie was great, man. Brendan Fraser. I don't know. I don't even know who the chick was that was in that movie. Let's see. Rachel Weiss. That name sounds familiar. Uh, Rachel Weiss also appeared in The Mummy 2. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> that was a joke. She was in that, but um, let's see. Um, was she in The Mummy 3D? 
She was in. Oh yeah, I know who she is. A lot of things that I haven't watched. Yeah, she was in. Uh, Fred yeah. Claus. You're right. Yeah, but Constantine. Like, that's the thing I know her from. Is Constantine? She was the 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 female. She was lead. in that weird The Lobster movie that people keep saying is. Oh good. yeah, that's supposed to be really good. Yeah, she was in the fountain. That was a piece of shit. You know what we need? We need a TV and movie correspondent for the podcast so that we don't have if to start. Only, if only we had somebody <laughs> and we didn't like, have to start the search anew. Because, like, really, this podcast could be the, you know, these two guys confirm on a weekly basis that they know shit about TVs and movies. And then sometimes they talk about books because, like, I think that's kind of what. Um, so, Emily, M in, M in Portland, um, kind of expressed her doubt about her ability to 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 fill the shoes of of being our TV correspondent you can see how easy it is to sound smarter than us about well cuz i i'm listening to us <laughs> talk and ramble on through this episode and it's not tough to do this yeah. this may not be one of our shining this <laughs> um, moments here i think maybe maybe what we should do and and i don't want to do this cuz we we don't know uh, emily might be sensitive and she might take me seriously but i did just finish the newest um series or whatever you want to call it of Gilmore Girls. Ooh, I heard some controversy on that. There there is some controversy and and much like uh, I, a lot of people didn't like the ending is really the controversy. I'm going to give you my quick take on it um for anybody who cares. I'm super super glad they did it. I think it's incredibly impressive that they got and, and when I say they got everybody like down from like the smallest people in the show that like had one or two lines, you know, throughout the course of however many years they're on, it seems like they got everybody to come back and do this. So it was uh, super nice to be able to revisit that. Um, it started off rough. It got better. I was okay with the ending, but a lot of people had a, what the fuck Gilmore girls attitude towards the ending. I understand why they did, but I liked the way it ended. There you go. Um, Unlike Livius, I have I've never watched anything Gilmore Girls. I couldn't even, aside from telling you that it's most likely a TV show, tell you anything about it at all. Oh, you would actually like some of it. It's very witty in its dialogue. Um, while we're on the topic, I will say that um, the season finale of Westworld aired the night before we're recording this, so I did watch it, and I am so impressed. With the TV show, it is insane. Did you watch any of it, Livius? Um, I am, I believe, three episodes behind. So uh, I've seen most of it. Seriously? Here's, like... here's, here's what I will tell you. Um, I, I saw, and, and this probably isn't spoiling, there, there was a pretty significant reveal about one of the characters. I saw up until that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So I, I think that's three episodes ago. Um. So... I have heard, here's what I'll say about it. Aside from David James Keaton, everybody has just done nothing but praise the TV show for what has it accomplished. Like, it's such a fantastic story. And, um, like, by virtue of, of, of the type of story it is, layered in ways you would never expect. So um, I, I thought it was masterful. And I will talk on and on and on about how awesome it is. But um, if anybody has not checked it out... Westworld, um, it's a slow burn, so it's going to take a few episodes for you to really kind of get into the groove of things, um, but man, does it pay off, like having seen the entire season, um, it pays off in a way where people are saying, if they don't do a season two, I'm happy with the story, 
which um, usually it's like, oh, oh I want to see more. But it's like this story was so perfect that they could walk away right now and it would be like a, a perfect story. So interesting. I was expecting uh, a little more cliffhanger than that. Yeah. Yeah, it wraps um, up nicely. Which we should do. We should wrap, wrap up nicely, too, because it's... We it's, should, uh, by the way. Well. It yeah. looks like there is a season two. Yeah, they're already... out till 2018. Yeah, HBO is doing a season two of Westworld um, already. And the thing about the way that season one wraps up, and I will not spoil anything, is that I have no idea what's going to happen in season two. There's There's kind of a clear path. But this this season, or I'm sorry, but this series has no interest in doing what a clear path is. So I have no idea what's going to happen in season two, but I'm very excited for it. Very interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, next week, bring your holiday spirit as you will hear the booked <laughs> holiday spectacular or whatever it's called um, next week with two guest hosts, Amanda Gow and Jesse Lawrence. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.